Welcome to Starkville Church of God. This is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, strengthens you, and fills you with God's love so you can share with others. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn there, I'll be reading in the book of Hosea chapter 2 today. And I'm honored to have the chance to bring the word to you, just to share uh, a word that God has put on my heart this week. This word has been different from most words for me. I don't know why, but um, as I was praying and seeking God over the last few weeks, it hit me this week, and uh, I have not been able to find, um, this sounds crazy, I've not been able to find rest until I get this out of my spirit. It's just shaking my core, and I have found myself, every time I'm reading through it, just weeping in the presence of God. So if I break down on you, it's nothing but passion. Everything is going great. I'm not falling apart. Just maybe spiritually, I find myself as a spiritual fruit basket sometimes. Um, and I prayed that one time by accident. <laughs> we were at a, a Winterfest meeting, and I remember being at the bottom one time, and I prayed. I said, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And my gosh, what a dangerous prayer you can pray because he did it. And that particular day, um, the pastor gave this altar call about uh, people who were dealing with, with divorce and, and broken homes and stuff in particular at that service. And he gave this altar call for kids to run. And I looked up, and I saw hundreds running to the altar to find wholeness, and I just begin weeping. And ever since that moment, I can't stop, and it gets worse and worse and worse. It happens in altar services. It started happening in movies. It's just a a fall over, a trinkle, however you say. Um, I'm losing my English, but you understand where I'm going with that. But we're going to be looking at this passage and talking about Hosea, not an easy topic, but just what I felt God was laying on my heart. And I'm going to look at verse 13. Just a short little verse, so if you want to stand with me for the reading of the word, it's going to be an up and down, real quick thing, but uh, out of honor of the word of God, if we can stand together. Hosea chapter 2, verse 13, starting one line down, it just says, She decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity and the honor to stand, God, in this place, God, and to be able to give the word, God, that I feel in my heart you have spoken to me, God. And I just pray that you would open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts, God, to receive and hear what it is that you are speaking to us, that you have to say to us, God, and that we would not just hear it, but, God, that we would take it and we would apply it in our lives as we go throughout this week. In your name we pray. Amen. So I want to speak to you today on a subject called faithful to the end. That is one of the phrases. There are several phrases. I'll talk about the other one later, but that's one phrase that came to me that we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about today. I don't know about you guys, but I love to watch movies. I have to connect things, and so movies is my thing. Some of y'all be like, "Mm mm-mm, that ain't holy. I don't do that. I do that, not because it's unholy, but it's just a way that I relax. People find different ways and different things of finding ways to relax. Some people, it's playing games. Some people, it's listening to some Mozart and classical music. It's different for everybody. My thing is to go watch a movie. And there's two categories that I especially love. And y'all don't be hating on me when I share you these because I'm about to get vulnerable for a second. But one of those categories is an action movie that has superheroes, fighting scenes. I am a Marvel fan. I had to get that out. I've confessed it now. (laughs) But I'm also a uh, Justice League fan. Superman, he's my homeboy. I got it. (laughs) In Germany, I was going on the go all the time, and they came up with a nickname. Um, 
I'm not boosting myself here, but I happened to, when I arrived there, had my bishop's license in the Church of God, and so they called me Bishop Superman over there. <laughs> and they only called me Superman because I was on the go all the time, but because they knew how much I love Superman. If we had an event, you better believe I was dressed up as Superman and I was ready. I've got it hanging in my closet. I brought it home. <laughs> I love it. You're going to see it at some point. I love Superman, but I love to go to the movies and to watch that. And I've went with a couple of guys here and they can probably attest to this, but I can't sit still in the movie. I have to help them fight. <laughs> I don't know why, but like, I try. Like Rihanna will go with me and she'll hold on to my hand and she'll try to hold me down. And I'm like, mm, mm. <laughs> like we saw Wakanda forever. I was like, let's go. <laughs> I got up. I was trying to get up out of my seat and cheer for him and help him. And she was so proud of me. We went to see the Avatar movie, and I sat still. I don't know how I did it. It was the grace of God. She's like, wow, you didn't do anything. But I love to watch those kind of movies. But the second one I love to watch is Christmas movies. Some of y'all like, ooh, you just lost your man card. <laughs> <clears throat> no, you might not have had yours. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I love to watch those Christmas movies, and it's special to me for a reason, not because I'm just like a chick flick person. That ain't the case. But it's something special between my mom and I. We started doing, um, after my mom um, was fighting and going through cancer, it was a way that we spent time because of me being here, I couldn't get there. So we would go and we would sit down and she loved Hallmark movies. So I watched Hallmark movies with her and I learned to like the Hallmark movies. I learned to get mad at them with the same ending every time too, <laughs> right? A different storyline. Come on. And then Netflix started and I was like, wow, it's the same storylines. <laughs> it's like, it's not changing. What's going on with it? But um, it, it became something that I just love. And so when Christmas comes, Rihanna gets tickled at me because almost every night during the two weeks right there at Christmas, I watch one to two every night. I'm going to get them all in before they take them off. I love watching them. And most of the time, they have that same storyline, as I said. It consists of them meeting that special someone. They begin to fall for one another. They uh, mess it up, and then they realize they can't live without that person, and same story, repeat, right? <laughs> and then they go live happily ever after, and they're in love, and they're going to spend forever together. Don't you wish it was like that in real life? <laughs> it is up till that point, and then it begins, <laughs> and you choose love every day. But they decide that it's the one they want to marry, and you have this perfect story of meeting someone Falling in love, becoming husband and wife, the perfect Hallmark movie. But imagine that the story continues after they get married and we get to see a little bit more. Imagine that they don't live happily ever after. That everything starts out pretty great until one day the unimaginable happens. There is unfaithfulness in the marriage. The spouse with whom they had made those promises of love and commitment breaks the bond of marriage and isn't just unfaithful committing adultery one time, but multiple times with more than one person. It's a case of the extreme. And if you and I was in that situation, what would we do and what the world says? And, and even according to God's word is one possibly could ask for a divorce in that situation. And few would probably think less of the individual if they approached that. But let's say this story is you and you choose not to do that. Instead, you take back the unfaithful spouse and you renew your love, you forgive and seek restoration and by God's grace, you don't let what's happened bring the relationship to ruin and your relationship survives with a new and deeper joy. What a miracle that would be. But now consider how this is actually our story. It's the story of God and his covenantal people. It's a tale of a wayward wife 
but a faithful husband, too, who amazingly keeps on loving. This story gets told by Hosea, who was one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. There's 12 of them. He's one of those 12. And he's told by the Lord exactly who he is to marry. Not a special someone who he met at school or a nice girl that his parents had arranged for him. But he's to marry this prostitute that he's been pointed out. And I imagine he didn't just go, woo, yes, that's the one. But I imagine there were some different feelings that went on. I'm one of those people where I've got to like get into the person because what we sometimes don't think about, we read this, we're like, oh, it's just another story. But these are people like you and I with emotions. And if most of you was in that situation, you wouldn't have got excited either and been, yes, Lord, thank you, Jesus, for that one. That's the one I've been waiting on. There's some of us that's a little holier than others, and we could have done that. But the majority of us, if we're real, it would have been like, oh, hold up, wait a second. Let's put some stopping in it. (laughs) That ain't going to work out. And I even tried to imagine my own story, like what it was like up until marriage. I didn't get married until I was 25 years old. And I remember many relationships that I went through that wouldn't work out, Um, several of them that caused hurt, some of them that made me scared to almost get up and try again, to even try to date someone again. Some of you have been there. You've experienced that yourself. I remember attempting some really dumb methods to try to find my wife. I've shared some of them in place. When I arrived to Mississippi State uh, and to here as a first-time worship leader, part-time, I was 21 years old, and I had it all together. I knew what I was doing, and I had a plan. It was time for Mrs. Wright, and I was going to find her, and God had brought me to the place. I knew it. What you don't know about the story probably is there was a girl who wanted me to come to state, and I didn't want to come here because she was coming there. <laughs> but God told me to go there, and I'm like, Dadgummit, God, I hope you got somebody else because I don't want that one. And I got scared that that was the one for me because she got on all my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> but I get here, and thank God she was not the one. And I begin searching, and I would meet a girl, and I'm just going to be real and transparent. Don't judge me for it, okay? But I would meet a girl, and what I would do is I would say her first name, and I'd put my last name in my mind with it. And if it sounded good, I'd give her some time. (laughs) If it didn't match very well, I just went on to the next one. And I did that for like several weeks, and I've quickly realized how dumb that was and that that was not the way to find your significant other. And so I remember coming back here to the church, and I said, God, I'm just going to pray, and I'm just going to, you're going to be my first love, God. I'm going to worship you. I'm just going to just pour out my heart to you, God. And when you get ready for me to meet the right one, then I want to meet her. And so I began doing that, and I think it was probably two weeks of nothing but that, maybe three weeks. And then one day, I'm up here practicing. We have rehearsals before Sunday school, and and then um, I go out that door. That door is a holy door because I opened it and slammed it into Rihanna and then tried to date her best friend. (laughs) Some of y'all will get that later, and that's okay. <clears throat> but that started, and, and, and it continued. And, and actually, her best friend, for those that don't know, was Jennifer Bowman. Who, and then it, the, they switched on us. The girls switched. And Andrew and Jennifer ended up together. Me and Rihanna ended up together. And it's a beautiful love story. They should make that into a Hallmark movie. <laughs> it would be great. <laughs> but I just remember the moment that I began to like Rihanna where something changed. And there was this difference um, that, that happened. And I, and I remember... Even the first moment that I realized that she was the one God had for me. Back then, um, I had this saying when I came in that I was an artist and I don't sweat. That's what I told people. So I wouldn't do anything that got me dirty. I wouldn't like, they're like, hey, move that. Sorry, I'm an artist. I don't sweat. (laughs) Good luck. And so we somehow went home to my parents and we went four-wheeler riding and we got stuck in the mud. 
And being the man, I was like, I got to help her get out. I can't just let her push me out. <laughs> so I climb out, and I get into the mud, and the mud comes up to my knees. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay, I can do this. And from this point, like, we haven't said, like, I love you. None of that stuff has happened yet. We've just been dating, and I have went to meet the parents and, and that kind of stuff. And so I get behind her. I'm like, all right, you're going to mash the gas, and I'm going to push. Some of y'all know exactly what happened next. That, yes. <laughs> all the way up my front side was covered in mud. But it didn't stop there, unfortunately. I kept pushing, and she got out. And then I lost my balance, and I fell face forward into the mud. So I finally get myself up, and then I fall backwards into the mud. And I remember sitting, and, and people have their different stories, but for me, I'm sitting in this pile of mud. I'm looking at her. She's laughing. And in that moment, I knew I don't get dirty for no one. She's the one. <laughs> remember going through all those emotions and all the stuff to get there, and I remember saving myself. I was taught growing up that I needed to, to hold back and not give myself to a girl, but to save myself for my marriage, not to be with my wife, and so that was important to me, and I, I did that. I, I saved that, and I couldn't wait for that night. It was 25 years before we got married, and so I imagine looking at Hosea, like how much similarity might be going on with this guy. He was a prophet, so I'm pretty sure he wasn't a little hellion, or God might not have had him in the position he was during that time. This is just Joel 4 and 38, trying to get this version, okay, and understand it. That's not a real chapter. Some of y'all will get that later, too. But the point is, I, I imagine that Hosea is, is going through a lot of these kind of emotions, and maybe he's been waiting for that special someone and his special someone was a prostitute. God says, hey, that's the one I have for you. I want to make an example out of your life. Like, wow, thanks, God. Yay, me. He was faithful to, to Christ. But Hosea is obedient, and he does what he's commanded to do. But it gets worse for him. His wife, Gomer, returns to her ways of chasing men after marriage. But God tells Hosea that, he has to take her back in the house and love her again anyway. Can you imagine if you put yourself into this story and what kind of stuff you might go through and the thoughts you might have? And it makes us question such to why this kind of calling and ministry was for this prophet. Why did God have this in store for Hosea? And the reason is that it's not just because it's Hosea's words, but his whole life was to be a message for Israel, a message of how God so deeply loved this sinful people, his people who were sinful despite their sin. He loved them, and Hosea was to be a small or faint reflection of how the Lord himself keeps on forgiving and restoring out of the abundance of his grace in Christ Jesus. You see, his grace is kind of like a four-year-old with peanut butter. It's everywhere, <laughs> and it's powerful, and it's beautiful, and as we read through this first bit of Hosea, we see that God is grieving over his people. And he's hurt by their betrayal of their sin and their worship to other gods. We only read one verse, but the entire first chapter is him telling Hosea, this is the one. He's pushing her. He's naming the kids. We're going to get to that. But it's a story of, of grieving. And in this chapter one, we read that Hosea obeyed. He took Gomer of his wife. And then they have their first child. I remember when we had our first kid, I remember praying and saying, God, what name do you want me to name them? I want something special. I want something with meaning. My dad just wanted something I could spell, and that was out of the Bible. He didn't have high hopes for me. 
but I wanted something that was special. And I imagine Hosea maybe was in the same mindset where he's asking God, hey, what do you want me to name my first child? And God answers Hosea and says to name his first child punishment or defeat. Like, okay, all right, God, you God, you do you. Then the second child comes. The second child, he says to name her no mercy. And then the third child was to be named not my people. So he's got punishment, no mercy, and not my people. And some scholars say that if you really think about it, probably how God utilized that was maybe as they would go out to be, hey, what's your name? No mercy. <laughs> what was wrong with your parents? <laughs> Did they not love you? And then Hosea could turn around and be like, no, actually, this was God's story. And he was at the point where he almost didn't love you because of your betrayal, because of your sin. So God was going to use it as a message to the people. So punishment, no mercy, and not my people. And these were to represent the judgment from God. You see, the events described in the section of Hosea reflect some of these tragic conditions that were existing in Israel at the time of Hosea's ministry. The tragedy in Hosea's home with having to, to marry a prostitute and naming his kids punishment, no mercy, and not my people was very small in comparison to the far greater tragedy that was happening in the nation. And that tragedy was that they were turning their backs on Yahweh and they were embracing other gods. Such turning could only result in ultimate judgment from God. These names were there to remind everyone who heard them of the broken relationship that existed between Yahweh and Israel and the judgment that he had in store for them that was to come. So God was punishing the house of Jehu for the blood slaughter that had taken place. You can go in, you can read it, you can dig in more. There's a little bit of a story. There's many generations. We won't get into that today. But he was punishing the house of Jehu, and, and that was where punishment came because of his reign and what he had done under his reign. With no mercy, God was withdrawing his mercy from them because he had been betrayed by the repeated adulteries that happened through idolatry. They could no longer expect grace from God. He had given it time and time again before, but now his patience had run out. And then, not my people, God had cut them off completely in the form of a divorce where their status had changed and they are no longer God's favored nation. So that's kind of where we are. That's what's happening. And we arrive at verse 13 that we started with in chapter 2. And it says, she decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers, but me she forgot, declares the Lord. And we see this intimacy, this love for his people and the grieving that's taking place. They forgot me. They've gone after their idols. They've gone after the rings and the jewelry. And they've went after all of their lovers. And they've forgotten who I am. They have forgotten that I am God. They've forgotten our covenant. And they've forgotten our relationship. He's grieving here because a covenant had tied God and Israel together in that special relationship, and it had been a permanent bond that was shared by the Lord and his people since the days of Abraham. But after having the time of grieving, we see a change that takes place in verse 14, and we see through love, the Lord pursues his wayward bride, who was Israel. And through the rest of this chapter, we see that he gives them reminders of his past love, and then there's expectations of true commitment and there's promises of an eternal 
covenant. So ultimately, we see a story of healing and restoration that takes place, but there are a few things that we must understand to completely understand how restoration works, not only in the story of Hosea, but in our lives. So point number one is that we are restored through love. If you're a note taker and you want to write something down, point number one is we are restored, restored through love. We see that God could no longer tolerate this spiritual adultery. Enough was enough. Only so many times could he watch his people walk away hand in hand and, and with someone else instead of him. He's a jealous God. I grew up hearing that, and you've probably heard it a couple times in your own life. We read it in the Bible. He was a jealous God of his people. He wants the exclusive love of his people, so he'll take action in judgment, and there will be pain. But here comes the contrast, which was so striking, is that after punishment, there's peace. After judgment, there was salvation. Verse 13 fades into verse 14, and God suddenly says, I will allure her and will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. So just when it looks to be over, that he's made up his mind, the decision is final, God embraces his people. He embraces her, and despite everything that's happened, God has not given up. How powerful is that? God doesn't give up on us. That his grace is there, that it is sufficient. And so he doesn't give up. And this is such a powerful statement of how great God's love is. He doesn't need us, yet the Lord wants to show kindness and graciousness to his people. He's gracious to his people. To teach us about this amazing kind of love, God speaks of himself in human terms when we look at verse 14. And it's in the language of, of courtship or, or dating. He says, I will allure her. Now, we don't go around saying that. I didn't go up to my wife and be like, can I allure you? <laughs> it was more like, hey, can we? Well, for me, it was like, hey, everybody already thinks we're dating. You want to make it official? <laughs> That's a long talk I got for that one. But the point is, if we make it in modern terms today, he didn't go up to her and say, I allure her. But he wanted to speak with her. He wanted to be with her. He's literally saying, I will speak to her heart if you take it and break it down of what he meant by I will allure her. He says, I want to speak to her heart. And he compares himself to an earthly husband, like one tenderly devoted to his wife or even a younger man who's seeking to win over a young woman with his attention. He takes the initiative and he reaches out, even though she's wandered away. And this is because God desires communion with us. And he's pleased when our relationship with him is strong. The second point is that we are restored in the wilderness. It's something that we find from this, this passage. He promises to bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her, is what we read about in verse 14. And after humbling his wife, now he'll restore her. And the place of restoration, he says, will be in the wilderness. Now, to us, maybe you're different. But normally the wilderness is not the idea place for a honeymoon that we want to pick it out. We want to go on a cruise. We want to go maybe to the beach, but the desert? That's not my first choice. We had some students that uh, got married, and they went to Egypt. And I'm like, if you like the desert, go on, climb that pyramid and get hot and ride that camel. I'm like, I'm not about that because you got you know, camels and all that kind of stuff there. And they want to do that. And then there happened to be a beach over there, and they spent more time on the beach. I'm like, I told you, I told you, the desert is not where you want to go and you want to spend your honeymoon. 
But you see, the wilderness was the barren and burning desert that Israel needed to cross centuries before on their difficult way to the promised land. The same desert. It was a place of hardship, yet it was where they learned to depend entirely on God's loving care. Looking back on it, Israel could actually see the wilderness as a place of blessed isolation. Prophets like Hosea spoke highly of the wilderness for years and years and years in their teachings and in their prophecies and in their messages. They would talk about the wilderness because that was a time when Israel could freely commune with God. They could just be with him away from all the the distractions, away from all the traps, away from temptations of the world. It was in the desert that they knew without a doubt that God was with them and that he would lead them and that he would protect them. So God reminds his people of that happier time before things went bad. His covenant love was the pledge for a new day, a new beginning. And this heavenly husband looks to a time when he and his bride could start afresh. So the prophet says about Israel in verse 15, he says, She shall sing there. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. He's reminding them of when they came up out of Egypt, how happy they were, the things that they were going through, the time in the desert. You see, there in the wilderness, God will speak comfort to her. And someone here today needs to hear that in your wilderness, God is going to meet you and he's going to speak comfort to you in your situation, in your circumstances. But we grow sometimes when we're in the wilderness. We don't like it. We don't pick it. We don't choose it. But sometimes it is what it is. And we got to make the best out of it and know that God is up to something and that he's right there with us, guiding us through just as he did with the Israelites. In your wilderness, you're going to find healing, though. Ooh. There was a phrase this week. I was spending time in prayer, seeking God. Um, Sunday night, I spent most of the night just praying. I don't know how much sleep I even got. I don't remember much of it. I, would, I know there was some sleep, but every time I woke up, I found myself praying and asking God and just seeking Him and, and, and trusting Him and uh, looking to Him to hear from Him. And I just felt um, maybe... I can't really compare, but sometimes since I prayed that prayer, God breaks my heart for what breaks yours. Sometimes I get weird feelings. I don't know how to explain, except maybe that there's emotions going on when I deal with people and and when I see situations and things. And sometimes I wonder, has God truly given me a glimpse of what he might be experiencing? And as I was looking into this story, I began to just feel this overbearing emotion and I would just weep and I would just cry. And, and this saying popped in my mind, and so I, I posted it on social media. One of the things was uh, lyrics to the song we did earlier, All My Life You've Been Faithful, All My Life You've Been So, So Good. With every breath I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God, because even in the wilderness, he's still good. When we look at the Israelites, when they got into the wilderness, when they called they crossed over the Red Sea, we see that there was still songs of praise that took place. There was ups, there was downs. There was some dumb decisions where they got out some idols, but then there were some miracle moments where they experienced God's hand. But the phrase I put with that, that really spoke to me was, if he will bring you to it, he will bring you through it. And I'm just, I'm reminded of my own personal dealings over the last year. I've shared with different individuals. I've probably shared pieces of it in past messages but a few years ago, I went through my own version of a wilderness while on the mission field. Now, people was like, How, you're a missionary. You're not supposed to experience that. <laughs> That's a lie from hell. Because you do. 
Sometimes it's amplified. I had a, uh, a ministry leader who um, just disrespected me all the time. And I couldn't do, every time I did something wrong, he would, you know, call me out and say, I'm stupid. And I would do this. And he would just tear me down. And uh, that was one component of many components. The German language in itself will send anybody to depression if you're not careful <laughs> trying to learn it. And I had to go through a 600-hour language course trying to learn how to say Krankenwagen and, and all this kind of stuff. That's ambulance. I don't know why I thought of ambulance right now. <laughs> but the point was, I went through that, and, and I had had this, this person speak to me before I went through the course. And they said, hey, God spoke to me, and he's going to drop the language in you. And I'm like, God, here I am. <laughs> I receive. Pour it in. <laughs> I'd heard stories of people who God would just, in a moment, they'd just understand the language and speak it. That was not my story. I went through 600 hours of what I compared had to be some kind of close thing of what hell might be like. The screaming and gnashing of teeth sounds a lot like the German language. <laughs> That's a joke. But the point is, it was a hard time because I expected God to just do it, and he didn't. And then one other thing, just being real with you, being vulnerable with you, is uh, we didn't give up necessarily, but when we were here, we had close friendships with people, people you could just sit down with, you could be real with, you could talk with. And when you go over there, you're pouring into people the entire time, but there's no one that's pouring into you. There's no one that's there for you. And so we found ourselves constantly pouring, giving, 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 giving. We came back here, we raised money, we're giving, 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 hoping people will give, 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 give. <laughs> and we're giving, giving, giving. No one is, is pouring back into us at all. And it's just years and years and years of that finally caught up with all these other components. And uh, I found myself one year, we had a new leader that came in. This is the, I won't say more about that, but um, in, in this story, I had to do a lot more traveling than I normally did. And in six months time, I had maybe three Sundays I didn't have to travel. So I was doing seven days a week. I was teaching um, from, from Monday through Friday, and I was active from eight till six at night. I would stop 30 minutes for lunch. I mean, it was constantly moving and stuff. And then I was grabbing teams, leaving on Friday afternoon. We were driving and we were pouring into churches and leading worship and preaching the word and doing workshops. And it finally, I just hit the bottom. And uh, I, my emotions got out of control. It's like if you flip a light switch, that's how my emotions were. It's like someone had control and I didn't. And they would flip a switch and I would just be driving down the road and begin weeping. I remember going down the Autobahn and I put Mozart's on just for the full experience. <laughs> and uh, I'm sitting there just driving and just weeping and crying and just like, God, where are you? I remember going to conferences. There's no translation. I'm like, God, I don't understand. And, and just crying. I couldn't control it. And God heard my prayers, and, and he, he put people in my life for that last year. Then he moved us here. <laughs> but he hears our prayers, and sometimes when I look back now, I see some things that I had to learn, things that I did learn that couldn't have happened if I had not went through my version of the wilderness. Your wilderness story is different than mine, but we all have our moments of the wilderness, and it's God working, God moving, God just being in our lives. And this is what we see with Israel that they're in the wilderness and that he wants to speak comfort to her. So picture a loving husband. He's doing that for his wife. Maybe there's husbands in here and that's how you are with your wife. She's troubled about something and you speak softly to her. You want to ease her fears. You want to reassure her, encourage her that it's going to be okay. So God will do this for his people and he does this for us. You don't need to feel guilty. You don't need to be afraid. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. These can all be laid to rest because God is with us forever. The brokenness of sin is being healed and our unfaithfulness has been covered in Christ. God declares 
that between him and his bride, between him and us, that things have been made right and he speaks comfort to us. What a miracle. What a miracle of his love. Sometimes we don't fully grasp and understand what gift we have been given, this miracle of love, the love of God, because we too have been unfaithful. We do our church thing, but are we fully committed to God? We live in a world that's surrounded by idols. My goodness, they're everywhere you turn around and, and we are attracted by things that we love and cherish and we're chased after them. And often we reject the one who gave us life. Sometimes we go days, even weeks, ignoring our Savior until we need him. Just like Gomer did, we often plunge back into sin, even though we know it's wrong. Yet God in Christ still calls us his precious bride. Hosea is our story, the story of God and his people. It's the story of a wayward wife, but also the story of a faithful husband who keeps on loving. And then later the Lord asks um, himself to Hosea, he reaches the point where he's ready to give it up. He's ready to be done. He's ready to just cut off Israel. I ain't got time for this. I'm done with them. I'm sick of this. And then there's a change that happens. And he, he goes to Hosea and he says, how can I give you up? My heart has changed within me. And we see that he couldn't bring himself to walk away from his people. Paul speaks of this very thing in Ephesians chapter 5 when he's talking about how husbands and wives should treat each other. But while he's teaching on the subject, Paul mentions an even greater love. He says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her. So Christ didn't just buy us, as we know the story with a bunch of gold and silver like Hosea had to do with Gomer, but we see that Christ bought us with his own precious blood, pouring it out giving himself for us to be his holy bride. We belong to him. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. We just come in, we sing our songs. There's scriptures about how sometimes we honor him with our lips, but our heart is far from him. And he's calling us to be faithful. He's calling us to come back to him. He loves us. We belong to him and he helps us make a new Start, And that brings me to a question I want to leave you with today. What does it mean for us today? Why this story? What is God saying to us? I live a great life. I go to church every time the doors are open. But am I committed in my relationship with him? Is it just about going to church? What am I doing the other days? When we look at the remaining part of chapter 2, we see the beauty of forgiveness that comes in the form of a promise and commitment to his people. God had compassion and he forgave the people and he did not turn his back on them as he had planned to do. And I've got news for you, he will not turn his back on you today. There is nothing that you can do that can keep you away from him because his love is, is for you. Will you follow him? He extends forgiveness to you and he offers a chance of redemption, of becoming faithful once more, knowing that we are not going to be perfect, that we're going to mess it up, that we're going to fall apart. Some of us are going to be more emotional basket cases than the other and we're going to trip and we're going to fall, but he's going to stand us up. He's going to clean us up. And he's asking, are we going to choose love each day and are we going to follow him? So there's two parts of this story that I want you to see. And then we're going to go home. We're going to end it with this. 
we have this story of the importance of being faithful to God, of surrendering to God, of choosing to follow him. And that comes from the concept of repentance. It comes from cleansing, a gift from God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for you and for me. First John 1 and 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Are you thankful for the blood this morning? Are you thankful for the gift for a father who compares himself to a loving husband and chases after you and chases after me and says, you can't mess it up bad enough that I'm going to look the other way, but I want you in your mess and I want to cleanse you of your mess and I want to restore you. And that's offered for you and I today. And so if you're here this morning and maybe you have been in a mess and you're like, God can't use me, I'm coming for you. There's a part of this that's for you. But the second part is that it compels us to forgive others around us as well as ourselves. If Israel could be so unfaithful to the most extreme with their idols and yet God redeemed her, how much more are we supposed to forgive others? It's part of the journey. We can't hold on to it. Mark 11, verse 25 says, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. When we've been restored through love and when we have been restored in the wilderness, we experience this forgiveness. And as a result, we experience his forgiveness. When we look at the end of chapter 2, the last verse, verse 23 there in that chapter, we see this forgiveness and love of God for his people in a shift that's taken place. And it's beautiful because we've seen nothing but how grieved he is. And then he gets to verse 23 after just saying what he wants to do for his people. And, and he's, he's talked about how I don't want to walk away. And he comes back and he says, I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one my mercy to the one I said not mercy and I will say to those called not my people that you are my people and they will respond and say you are my God and as I was praying this week and spending time listening to God that's something we don't do too often but listening hearing his voice what is it that he has to say not doing all the talking I asked him, I said, God, what is it that you want to say? What is your word? Give me something. And I heard one little phrase. And I don't know why I heard this phrase. Maybe there's someone here that needs to hear this. But the phrase he said to say was that you are more than enough. <laughs> I don't know what people are going through in this place, but there's some people under the sound of my voice here that you've come in and you've questioned and said, I'm not enough. I can't, I don't know how to go on. I don't know how to continue. And God is saying, my love for you is more than you can comprehend. It's not going anywhere. You are more than enough. You don't have to be at a certain level. I want you with your broken mess and I want to restore you. <laughs> but will you choose me? Will you follow me? Thanks for listening to our podcast. To find out more about us, follow us on social media at StarkvilleCOG. Special thanks to those who generously support this ministry. If you would like to give, visit us at StarkvilleCOG.com forward slash give. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, 
please subscribe. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.